Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today, our weekly analysis of the Torah portion. If you like learning one Parsha a week, you're going to love this week, because we've got a double Parsha, a double feature for you, Vayakal and Pekude. I want to thank, as always, our generous Parsha Perspective sponsors for the year, the series, dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Le'ilu Nishmas David Ben Menachem Manish. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for your friendship. This morning's shir is also sponsored by Sharon Wenger and Jonathan Wenger in loving memory of the dear husband and father, Bruce Wenger, Dov Ari Ben Yisrael on his fifth Yuritzite. His neshama should have an aliyah. Reminder, if you'd like to sponsor an episode, if you'd like to sponsor a shir, please email lee at brsonline.org, L-E-E at brsonline.org. Also a reminder, we are now off of Zoom and any other platform. We're streaming only on YouTube Live to get notification every time we go live, an opportunity to learn together. Simply press the subscribe button. All you have to do is hit subscribe and you will be notified in real time every time we go live. Parsh of Ayaka, page 516, the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash. And of course, the great question of Ayaka Pekude bothering everyone each and every year. The question that jumps out when we read Ayaka Pekude, it sounds awfully familiar. And it's familiar not because of something that we read weeks or months or years ago, but it's familiar from a couple of weeks ago, because Vayaka Pakude seem to be almost exactly a repetition of Truma Tetzava, leaving the reader wondering, why do we need to be told again? Does Hashem think we have such a short memory, such a short attention span, that we can't remember what we were reading? Why are Vayakel and Pakude repeated all over again? The truth is, the answer is found in the opening words, not only of Vayakel, but of Pakude. Ela Pakude HaMishkan. These are the accountings of the Mishkan. The Medrash tells us that the word Ela, the word these, is an atonement, it is a kapara, it is a repair from having said with the Egel Azov when it came to the mistake, the horrific judgment of the Egel Azov, the golden calf, we said, Ela Elohecha Yisrael, this is the God of the Jewish people. The Ela Pekude Amishkan came in order to offset, in order to repair the damage that was done from Ela Elohecha Yisrael. So Vayaka Pekude follow the Cheta Egel, because first we were told Shumu Tetzaveh, God told us, here's, if you want me to live among you, you want to feel my presence, you want to connect intensely to me, here is the prescription, here is the formula, here is the way to do it. But we thought we could outsmart God. And we said, God, those are nice suggestions, but we know better than you what we need. We know exactly what will make us feel connected. And so we tried to get creative. We tried to have some entrepreneurial spirit. We tried to invent our own way to connect to Him. But that doesn't work. Hashem, the divine, the omnipotent, the infinite, the creator of the universe, He built us, He programmed us, He built our hardware and our software. He knows what makes us tick, He understands our psyche, and He designed exactly the formula to connect to Him, to live our best lives, and to get the most out of this world. And therefore, after the Chet Ego, where we thought we could do it for ourselves, we weren't, in fact, according to the Kuzari, we spoke about this, we weren't, in fact, ignoring God, we weren't being disloyal or betraying God. We just thought we had a better way of connecting to Him than He told us Himself. So if you'll notice, there's a major difference. The Beis HaLevi points out. The Beis HaLevi says that by Yaakov Pekude, there is an expression that is used over and over and over again. We're going to look at it a little bit more closely together this morning. The expression of Ayaka Pekude that's not in Shumat over and over again is Kashatziva Hashem. That they did as God had commanded. They did as God has commanded. Shumat are prospective. Here's what I want you to build. Here is the commandment. 
But Vayakal Pekudeh is they got it done. And they got it done exactly as God had said because the message of Vayakal Pekudeh, the Torah was ready to use up enormous real estate to repeat things that we already knew. Why? To remind us that while there is room for individuality and creativity in Torah Judaism, however, we have to remember it has to fit within the formula of the prescription HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that the Almighty Himself gave us, that we can't get too creative, we can't invent for ourselves, certainly not at the expense of doing what He's asked of us. And therefore, for the words, Kashar Tziva Hashem, just for the words as God commanded, it was worth repeating Vayaka Pakude over and over and over again. Vayaka Moshe is called Das Yom Moshe gathers all the Jewish people. When is this, says Rashi? This is when he descended from the mountain. It is the day after Yom Kippur. It is the fresh start, the new beginning. Moshe brings them and gathers them all together. Why did he need to do that? We have two mitzvahs of Vayakel. Two times that a mitzvah is delivered while we are assembled, when we are a community. And they are the Mishkan and they are Shabbos. We're not going to go into it today, but I leave you to think about and challenge you for your Shabbos table. What do the Mishkan and Shabbos have in common? And why specifically for both of those where we gathered and assembled together in a group. Many of the Mephoshim say, what is the contrast, the juxtaposition of the end of last week's parsha of Kisisa with the beginning of this week's parsha with Vayakel? And they say, the end of last week's parsha, Moshe has these rays of light that emanate from his head. Moshe has this glow. Moshe clearly is categorically different than all others. The people were afraid. They recoiled. And they said, he's so different. Vayakel Moshe is called Das Bnei Yisrael. So he gathered everybody. We're all equal. We're human beings. We are all interconnected. We're one seaboard. We're one community. We are one unit. That was the antidote. That was his response to their reaction to the Karen Or, to the rays of light that emanated from him. So Moshe gathers everybody and tells them, Six days do work. And the seventh day you rest, we've spoken about this at length, go back to previous shiurim. If you go on either yutorah.org and put in my name, or rabbieframgoldberg.org and go to the Parsha Perspectives, you can listen to all the previous years on any given Parsha and you'll hear we discussed this section at length and analyzed what it is introducing, the deep, deep concepts of Shabbos, of the Karaites, those who took the Torah literally didn't have a fire burning, even if it was lit from before Shabbos, they sat in the cold and all the food they ate was cold, we talked about the history of Chalant and how Chalant is a mitzvah to eat, not only because I happen to love Chalant, but Chalant is the affirmation, I believe, in the oral Torah, not just the written Torah, that you are allowed to have a fire if it's from before Shabbos. We spoke about the Shla Kadosh. Lo Shabbos teaches me, I can't have a fire raging inside me. No anger on Shabbos. A fire doesn't just mean literally a fire, it means the fire of rage, the fire of anger. Shabbos is a time of peace, serenity, tranquility. Even if there are things that are worthy to be angry about, even there are things that we are in the right to be angry about. But Shabbos is not a time for rage, anger, or outrage. Shabbos is low sevaru You can't have a fire burning. There has to be peace. Others interpret this. The Merechayim we saw the vision of low sevaru eish biyom Shabbos. You can't just have the fire burning on Shabbos. Shabbos is a time that we daven slowly. And we learn a little bit more. And we spend more time with our family. And we disconnect from our technology. You all know my love for Shabbos. Friday afternoons we gather for Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. But says the vision of the Nechaim, you can't just have the fire burn inside you on Shabbos. And then the Vach, the weekday, you go back 
to being a cold, heartless Jew, a mindless Jew. You can't go back to your technology addiction and obsession. You can't go back to the rigmarole of life. You can't go back to the stresses and the distractions. But the fire can't just burn in your home beyond Shabbos on Shabbos. It can't be that's the only time your children see you. It's the only time you have a meal together. It's the only time that you actually set aside to learn, to grow. It can't just be on Shabbos. It has to be much more. But let's keep going. tells this assembly and he says, this is what God commanded you. And what is it? Giving a parashashir, a jirasha, a Torah, and vayaka, pakudir, challenging. Everybody used their best stuff already on truma tetzave. We're seeing essentially the same thing. But there's always, always endless and limitless insights to share, and we'll try to do our best this morning. So, kechum eitchem truma, take from yourselves a portion. Kol nadivli bo, anyone with a generous heart should bring this gift. And they should give it from gold, silver, copper. We're going to list all the materials, the ingredients. And so on and so forth. And here we hit our first Eish Tamid. Our first Rav Druk of the day. Mirza Shembli Ainar Rav Druk is coming to Boca this week. Later this week. And I look forward to either recording or having him on the Parsha Shia. We've been learning his Sefer all year. It's beautiful, beautiful insights. And I want you to meet and see the extraordinary individual behind these beautiful Divrei Torah, Mir Tashem, Bali Ayinhar. Says Rav Druk, The Pasuk says, Hashem instructs Moshe, tell the people, Take for yourselves, from yourselves, a gift from Hashem. Why doesn't the Pasuk simply say, Take, take, anyone who's generous, a donation, an appeal. What do you mean from yourself? And Rav Druk quotes three interpretations of the Kliyakar, and then he throws in a Malbim for good luck. Here we go. You ready? First, the first, the three Kliyakars. Rav Lunchitz says the Kliyakar, number one, means you has to be, it has to be rightfully yours. It has to be authentically and genuinely yours. You can't give from that which is stolen. Next week, we're going to start, say, for Vayikra. And we're going to begin Vayikra by saying, when a person offers, when a person sacrifices Mikem from themselves, from themselves. So we'll darshan it next week. But the Gemara in Sukkadaf Lama darshans it. You're not allowed to bring a korban from stolen property. You can't cut corners, you can't cheat on your income taxes, you can't ruthlessly compete in business, you can't steal from others, and then give staka. You can't then give a korban. When you offer the korban, it has to come genuinely, authentically, honestly, from you. It can't come from the stolen. The same is true here, says the Kliyakar. The Torah is saying, take from you. Very important lesson, a parasha perspective for today. You know, what we give, what we offer, what we donate, you you can't justify being ruthless in business. You can't justify cutting corners or being dishonest on income taxes and misreporting business expenses. You can't justify because I'm going to give tzedakah. Oh, he, she, they give a ton of tzedakah. It has to come me'itchem. It has to be rightfully. It has to be legally yours. Otherwise, Hashem is not interested. 
Hashem is not impressed. Hashem is able to get the money, the funding to support his institutions, his values, his mission from elsewhere. So, kechu me'itchem. It has to come me'itchem. Pshat number one says the kliyakar is, it has to be legally, rightfully, honestly from you. Number two, od perish ha'kliyakar, me'itchem. Shko'echem yizdariz la'mitzvah me'atzmo. Kiyesh adam she'inonosin klamat sharach, e'inonosin miskana bahem. Alkeinu nosin lahashvas es atzmo lahem. V'zeinu me'itchem. I was told I have to read slower in the shir so people can follow along and feel that they're listening and learning together. I'll try harder. So, shot number two of the Kliyakar. Kliyakar says, you know what Me'itchem means? Me'itchem means that you should not be motivated to give because you're keeping up with someone else who gives. It shouldn't be you see the names of others on the list your name is missing from the tribute list, the pillar list, the donor list, the global list. So you say, you know, my neighbors, my machatonim, my uh, others are on there. How's it going to look if I'm not there? I guess we have to give because others gave and we need our names to appear. Because that's certainly better than not giving at all. Let me make very clear. Even if it's not the highest or a high level of giving, that is certainly much better than not giving at all. But it's not a higher level. The higher level is not to give because others gave. It's not to give because you are peer pressure to give. It is giving me'itchem. Without anyone seeing, without anybody knowing, without anybody pressuring, and without keeping up with anybody, me'itchem. You're self-motivated. You're driven on your own. You want to make a difference. This morning, this happened uh, before Rosh Hashanah. But for the second time now this year, there's a box in the door to my office. People leave all kinds of shilas, anonymous questions, and all kinds of other uh, things they drop off. There is an envelope with many gift cards to a local kosher market for anyone who needs for Pesach. There's no note, there's no name, there's no letter, there's no desire for a tax deduction, there's no desire for me to mention their name in a parish year. It's simply a gift me'itchem. Not keeping up with others and not for a name to appear again. Those are better than not giving at all. And that's why there's many tshuvas by Achronim who talk about should you use your name when you give or give anonymously and they conclude you should use your name because it will inspire and motivate others to give as well. And there's value in that. But says the Kliyakar, the higher level of giving should be me'itchem. Not to keep up and not to appear on a list with others but simply driven internally to give. Number three, Kliyakar. Me'itchem mamish. Ke'anosein menid libo doma kil hikriv is gufo. Don't just give superficially. Don't just give externally. Don't write a check, Venmo, Zell, or drop off the cash. But give me'itchem. It should be from you. From you doesn't mean that you have to give until it hurts, but you can. You can decide, me'itchem is, it's a choice. I could have a bigger flat screen, or I could make a bigger difference. I could have more expensive wine, or I could be smoking more expensive meats, or I can give more to make a bigger difference so others have basic food to eat. Me'itchem, me'itchem. Don't just give superficially or externally. Give, not that it hurts, but give that you're making a decision. You're giving up something. It's selfless. You're giving a piece of yourself. Every time we give, we're giving a piece of ourselves, me'itchem, because it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's our effort and our toil. 
we are giving that which we worked so hard for. And therefore, number three, it's Meitchem. So three Pshatim of the Kliyakar, what does it mean, Meitchem? Number one, it has to be honest, Meitchem. It can't come from that which is stolen. Number two, Meitchem, shouldn't be motivated by keeping up with others, should be an internal drive. And number three, Meitchem, is you give a piece of yourself, not just externally money. But then Rav Druk throws in a fourth Pshat. At first it says, take from me a gift, a donation. So at first we took a donation from anyone, anyone who wants to give, even the rabble rousers, even the Erev Rav, even those who joined who were not sincere or don't share the same history or destiny as the Jewish people. But now we got a little bit more particular. The Mishkan is a place of holiness, a sanctity, and therefore we have to be careful from whom we take donations. And that's also very clear for Torah institutions, schools, shuls, kolam, mikvos, erev, kashas. Everyone has to be very careful. It's tempting to simply take from anyone, anywhere, anytime, because after all, it's feeding and it is propelling the cause. But me'itchem. We have to be careful. We have to be scrupulous and vigilant to take from honest and genuine sources, me'itchem, not from a type of an Erev Rav. Okay, then the Pasuk says, Pasuk Lamanei, Pasuk Chav Aleph, moving right along, turning the page, page 518 in the Yard Scroll Stone Chumash. Page 520 in the Yard Scroll Stone Chumash. The end of Perak Lamed Hay. The end of Perak uh, Lamed Hay. So Perak Lamed Hay, I'm sorry, I went too far. Five five eighteen. I was right the first time. Again, chapter twenty five, chapter thirty five, verse twenty one. Every person whose heart inspired him came. Anyone whose spirit, whose heart motivated, brought the portion of Hashem for the work of the Oel Moed. For all of its labor and for all of the sacred clothing, all of the sacred vestments. And here we go to Rav Druk number two. Says the Ramban on this Pasuk. All the people who were moved by their heart, who had a generous heart and a generous spirit brought their gift. Says the Ramban, a very, very important insight. And I want you to listen carefully. I love this insight. We're going to elaborate a little bit here. Says the Ramban, Nachmanides, Rav Moshe ben Nachman, If you have a mikroska, those follow along inside in the Ramban. Everybody who had a generous heart, Says the Ramban, wondering a very compelling question. We are talking about a nation of slaves, a nation who spends two centuries in servitude, and now they've been liberated, they've been emancipated, they've been freed. And they're taken to Arsinai, and they're taken into the desert, and they're traveling through the desert. And here in the desert, God says to them, I have architectural plans. I have diagrams. I want you to build these utensils. I want you to weave complex, complex things. I want you to build and assemble complex, complex utensils and a structure. Wonders the Ramban, where in the world did they know how to do this? How'd they know? Where was their training? Where was their apprenticeship? How did they know? 
They didn't go to school. They didn't go to an academy. How in the world do they know? These are slaves. They have no training. They have no education. They knew naturally, intuitively, instinctively. Look at the Ramban. But Rav Druk unpacks the Ramban. Ramban In Egypt, true, in Egypt they worked. They were slaves. They were bricklayers. They were bricklayers. Now, I, I speak like bricklaying is not a skill. Uh, far be it for me to say. I don't know that I would be able to effectively, in an organized straight row, lay bricks that would, would stand the test of time. So I do not mean to minimize the skill of bricklaying. But they were bricklayers. They didn't know how to work with fine metals. They didn't know how to be craftsmen. Nor did they see anyone train under anyone. How did they know how to weave? How did they know how to melt? How did they know how to shape and mold? How did they know how to work with all of these materials? And even when you find somebody who excels at one, you don't find somebody who's an expert at all. And the people who can do the major don't know how to do the fine. The people who do the fine can't do the major. And yet here, the Torah doesn't delineate or discriminate. It seems to say they all did it all. How in the world did it happen? Listen to this insight. From the natural perspective, if you look logically, it's impossible to understand, to believe how the Jewish people succeeded in building the Mishkan. Because in order to excel at such a thing, you gotta go to school. You need to go to a fellowship and a residency. You need training and hours of internship. It's a nation of slaves. You ready for the answer? Do you know what compensated for the lack of training? What compensated for the lack of schooling and education? Says Rav Druk, based on the Ramban. The core and the source of their success? They willed it in their heart. Their generous spirit. Their drive, their ambition. What you make up for in training, and what make you make what you lack in talent, and what you lack in skill, you can make up for in will, in desire, and drive. What a life lesson! What a life lesson! We all know people like that. Their skills, their talents, their natural talents are not impressive or great, but they're so driven and they're so ambitious and this is where their heart is placed. They're so passionate. Says Rav Druk based on the Ramban, you're right, this was a nation of no training, a nation of no education, a nation of no know-how. They should never ever have been able to succeed and yet they had Nisiyah's slave. They had a drive and ambition. This is what they wanted to serve Hashem and to answer and to build and to fulfill Fulfill exactly what he said. Anyone who wanted to answer and heed the call, anyone who wanted to come to Moshe and say, I'm in, count on me. Ah, but you don't know what you're doing. 
true. They never did it before. When it comes to something noble, when it comes to something spiritual, nothing stands in the face of the will. We see this empirically. When you are driven to do something godly, sacred, when you're driven for a holy mission to make a holy difference, then nothing can stand in your way. You merit a siyat deshmaya, divine intervention and divine inspiration. We see this. There are people who aren't the most brilliant, but they dedicate themselves to Torah learning in ways they excel and they emerge great. There are people who dedicate themselves in leadership. There are orators who don't are not born with natural ability to speak, but they're passionate, they're driven for a sacred cause and a noble mission. And they merit siyata deshmaya, divine intervention and divine assistance and divine help and divine success. You know, I thought about this not only in the area of ruchnias, there, there are people who we see this coming true for in the world of learning and in the world of chesed, in the world of leadership. But there was a documentary done on the first Air Force of Israel in 1948, surrounded by enemy nations who sought to destroy. And not only these first Israeli Air Force, which were airplanes made up of spare car parts, absolute miracle. It's impossible not to see the miraculous nature of the founding of the modern state of Israel when you know the story of what it took. But how about the Holocaust survivors, skeletons who walked out of concentration camps and held guns that weighed more than they did and fought in a war with no training as soldiers and founded the miraculous state of Israel. Was that not a noble cause and mission? Did Hashem not intervene and give them a Hatzlacha because their passion, their drive overcompensated for what they lacked in knowledge, in know-how, in muscle. Chavetz Chaim The Chavetz Chaim sees this insight of the Ramban in the Pasuk itself. It doesn't say everyone who had a wisdom of the heart came. It said anyone who had a generous spirit of the heart. All you needed was the passion. All you needed was the drive. All you needed was the dedication. You didn't take an IQ test or an entrance exam. You didn't have to have a skill set or the talent. You needed the drive. And if you had the drive, Moshe Rabbeinu enlisted you. And he enlisted you for this holy purpose. Because Baruch took care of the rest. And only then it says, it only adds that they were wise of the heart afterwards. Why? So Medayik the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim understood from here, because what comes first is the passion and the drive. The knowledge and the know-how, they come after. Kodesh Baruch will provide them if first we have the drive. The Gemara continues. The Gemara Mesapersha Tziltzul, there were these two utensils that would um, produce a sound. They were made out of bronze in the temple. They produced a very sweet sound. And they broke. So the, the sages of Jerusalem sent for the experts. The experts. Your refrigerator, your oven breaks. Got to call the experts. What they charge per hour, the knowledge, the know-how. You're not an expert. Something breaks down. You need somebody who knows. Today you can Google, a, you can watch a YouTube video and try to fix it yourself, but you might make a bigger problem. So they brought the experts from Alexandria, from Egypt. They fixed it, but the sound was no longer sweet. 
They had a crusher that used to crush the ground, the spices. It broke, so they brought in the experts from Alexandria. They fixed it, but it didn't crush the spices the way it used to. So they took out the thing that fixed it and it corrected it. So you see in this Gemara, what's the moral of the story? What is the Gemara telling us? The story says of Druk, they brought in the experts. And the experts had all the know-how. The experts had the training, but they couldn't produce the sweet sound. They couldn't produce the pleasant fragrance because there is the intangible. There's the intangible of the person, not only the skill set and the know-how, not only the training and the education, but there's the intangible of the passion and of the devotion. And that is what makes everything right. Nothing stands in front of the will when your will is to fulfill the will of Hashem. You see this also with Avram Avinu, says Rav Druk. We find this in many places. Avram Avinu, when he was commanded in order to give himself a bris, he was a hundred. So what was he thinking? To do a mila on himself? Didn't he have to learn Hilchos Mila? Didn't he have to practice on others? He's going to try an experimental surgery on himself at a hundred years old. Was he out of his mind? He understood, says Rav Druk. He had this insatiable thirst. He had this appetite to fulfill the will of Hashem. So when Hashem said, do a bris on yourself, he didn't hesitate. He didn't pause. He didn't go for training. He didn't go for education. But rather, He became the instant expert. You know, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of invention. If you are driven to fulfill the will of Hashem, and that becomes a necessity for you, then that necessity to fulfill the will of Hashem is the mother of invention. It's the mother of education. It's the mother of expertise. The mother of expertise. Rav Druk applies this in several other places. It's pages long. I want to get to other ideas. He says this in the area of the mitzvah of Shechita, of the Karban Pesach. To Shech the Karban Pesach. They took Selevei 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 Everybody took a lamb or a sheep. All had to be uh, less than a year old. All the criteria that had to be met. And they Shech they slaughtered it. How did they know the laws of Shechita? How did they practice? How were they trained? How did they do it at that level, that magnitude, that volume? Again, the same notion. The same answer. Where there's a will, nothing stands in the face of that will. We see this also with the daughter of Paro, Bisya Bas Paro. Everyone knows the famous story. Or she went down in order to bathe the denial. She saw the basket floating and she extended her hand. The Gemara Sota Dafid Beis tells us that when she extended her arm, she extended her arm, it went much further than it should have. She stretched her arm and like plastic man, it just kept stretching. What does that mean? It meant that even though she reached out far beyond where she should have ever anticipated she could stretch, miracles happen. When we do our part, when we are passionate and driven, when we are singularly focused, when we want to fulfill the will of Hashem, then good things happen as a result. Through great Ratzon we get Chachma. That's how he explains the Pasuk as well, based on the Gemara and Brachos. Again, it's a long piece. You can look at it inside. Got to leave you some homework to do in the Eish Tamid. But a beautiful insight of Rav Druk based on this Ramban, the notion of sometimes analysis paralysis. We're big believers in education. 
Of course, we believe in the importance of an education, a degree, and training in any area of life to be a machanach, to be a rav, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. You need the education, you need the training. But we can compensate for a lack of talent, a lack of innate skill, a lack of uh, being a natural by being driven in ambition for the will of Hashem. When a person has that drive, the will of Hashem, so a generation of slaves, says the Ramban, a slave people who have no education, no training, Kodesh Baruch Hu says, here's what I want you to build me. Here's what I want you to weave for me. Here's what I want you to create and fashion for me. And they say, we're in. And once they say we're in and they're driven, Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Almighty, does the rest. Next insight on the same Pasuk. Next insight in the same Pasuk comes from... Bum, 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 bum. V'chol chacham lev. Yeah. Comes from the Tzadik Rav Eliezer of Vizhnitz. Rav Eliezer of Vizhnitz says the following. Kol isha shir Same Pasuk. Perak Lamedei, Pasuk HaValaf. Kol isha shir Everyone who had a generous heart, whose heart was moved. V'chol asher nadvarucho. Oso heviu as trimas Hashem. So, so Rabbi Lazar Vizhnitz, the tzaddik, understand this, understood this a different way. And he said, whatever your heart desires, whatever you're driven towards in this world, redirect it and rechannel it as a gift to Hashem. In other words, whatever your heart desires, so that thing that you are driven towards, the thing you're drawn towards, the thing that you crave or have an appetite for, redirect it and make sure you're doing it, make sure you're doing it to advance Hashem's mission, Hashem's will. The Rambam writes, Whatever you're going to enjoy, whatever you love, whatever you benefit from or you're drawn to in this world, dedicate it to Hashem. So if you're contributing towards the building of a shul, make it even more beautiful than your own home. If you're feeding someone who's hungry, make sure they have better food than what you eat. If you're clothing the naked, give them better clothing than what you have. If you're maktish something, if you sanctify something, sanctify it from the best. Homiletically, he interprets this Pasuk to mean whatever we care passionately about, you love food, you love wine, you love things, you love experiences, you love money, whatever you love, take that love and direct it towards a holy destination and towards a holy goal. Now we turn the page. Page 520. Selecting these craftsmen. Says the Pasuk. He filled them with a wise heart to do every craft of the carver, weaver of designs and embroiderer with the turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool and linen, and the weaver, the artisans of every craft and makers of designs. So the Pasuk, Mile or Sabchachma slave, he filled them with the wisdom of the heart. This fits exactly with the beautiful insight of the Ramban that they were driven, they showed the will, and the Kodesh Baruch Hu met them halfway and filled them with the know how. However, Rabbi Yisrael, the base Yisrael of Majitz, has another pshat. Again, Chasidish Avort. He says, Mile or Sabchachma slave, he filled them with the wisdom of the heart. Lasos kol melaches harash in order to do 
all of the crafts of the Kharash. What is Malachas Kharash? What is Malachas Kharash Vechoshev Verokeim? So Malachas Kharash means the carver, the carver. However, the word Kharash has another connotation. A Kharash is somebody who is, um, is deaf. What does the Pasuk says? Tacharishan means to be silent. So it says Rabbi Yisrael of Majitz, to know when to be silent takes a chachma. One has to be filled with great wisdom. To be familiar with and to be an expert in the malacha, in the skill of charash. You have to know when to be silent. Our great rabbi say in Avos that a siag lachachma, if you want to protect the wisdom you have, Learn how to be silent. There's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should be taking in twice as much as we put out. He filled us with the wisdom of the heart, in order to acquire the malacha of charash, in order to know when to speak and when to be silent. I've told you before, the Revolba says, you know, we teach children how to speak. They start saying words. Every time I speak to my grandson, I say, Zayda, 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 Zayda. We try to teach them to speak and they say a word, yay, we celebrate. Do we ever teach them to be silent? Once we teach them to start speaking, says Ravoba, we forget to teach them when to stop speaking, how to be silent, and the virtue and the value of silence. That too is a malacha. That too takes a chachma slave. It's a skill set and it takes a wisdom of the heart to know when to be quiet as well. Perak Lamed Vav, Pasuk Aleph, moving right along, same page. The engineer, the architect of the Mishkan, should carry out with Aliyah every wise-hearted man with whom Hashem had endowed wisdom and insight to know and to do all the work for the labor of the sanctuary, everything Hashem had commanded. Hashem had put inside them all of the Chachmah, all of the wisdom to know what to do. We are at Rav Druk number three. We'll see how many we get through today. Rav Druk number three. Says Rashi. Komishin is asig Sorry, not Rashi. Says the Shmos Rabbah, the Medrash. Komishin is asig b'malachas ha-mishkan. Nasan b'akash baruchu chachma u'bina v'das. Whoever worked on the building of the Mishkan, Hashem implanted, ingrained within them, chachma bina v'das. They were all chabadnikers. They were all abavachers. Chachma bina udas. We've in the past and previous parshas yirim we've unpacked what is the difference between the three. Shenemar vayasu chachma le v'lo bivne adam ela afilu bebehema v'chaya. It wasn't just that God gave that to human beings. God also gave the chachma bina and das to the behema and chaya to the animals. Shenemar chachma utvuna bahema bahema ksiv shenit nechachma baadam uva behema. So the Medrash tells us, even though the literal understanding of the Pasuk is that he placed the Chachma and the Bina, the wisdom, Bahema, in them, don't read it, don't punctuate it as Bahema in them, read it and punctuate it as Bahema. God gave not only man the wisdom, knowledge, and know-how, but God gave that to animals as well. So you can imagine, wonders of Druk, Yeshlet Moa, based on the Medrash. I understand man is the designer, the architect, the builder. Man will bring the mindfulness, the intent of the heart. The animal is contributing their skin. The animal is contributing their body. 
what do I need the animal, the lowly base animal, to have Chochmah, Bina, and Das? Do they put on a gartel too, the Chabadnik animal? What does the animal need to have Chochmah, Bina, and Das? Nira Levar Behektim, Kemushim is a Paris Gemara. So the Gemara Bab Metziah Daf Pehe tells us what Rebchia would do, Rebchia was so devoted to make sure that we would never stop or forget learning Torah. So the great Rebchia, the great Rebchia, who of course would have preferred to immerse himself in the base Medrash, but you know what he did in order to ensure that Jewish education would continue? Listen to what he did. He would go out and he would plant the flax in the fields. And after they would sprout, they would blossom, they would grow, he would collect them. And Rebichia would weave them. And he would make nets. And then he would catch things. And he would shech them. And he would feed it to orphans. And he would take the skins. And he would make klaf. And on that klaf, he would write the Torah. And then he would make his way to a city that didn't have a school. Think about the early days of the Torah Masora movement. Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, Zatzal. My grandfather, Sam Aboff, Zechron Lavracha, who worked with him and partnered with him in the early days of Torah Umasora, that image of not today where you could take a, a plane easily, but in the days of taking trains and taking uh, traveling in ways that were deeply, profoundly uncomfortable and time consuming. And they made their way all over the country to convince communities to found schools because of the importance of Jewish education. Before Torah Umasora, there was Rabbi Chia. And Rabbi Chia would make his way around Israel. And he would take all the effort, the flax and the hides, and where he had written the Chamishay Chumshay Torah. And he would go and he would find five students <coughs> and he would teach them. He'd find six more kids and give them each a Seder of Mishnah. And he would say to them, says the Gemara Babatziah, until I come back. You, who I taught the Chumash, teach the other Mishnah. The one I taught the Mishnah, teach the Chumash. And through those great efforts, he himself ensured that Torah, that Jewish education, would not be lost. And you read this Gemara Bamatsiya, wonders of Druk, and you say to yourself, Rebichia was the Rosh Hashiva. Rebichia was the Galador. There weren't others who could plant the flax and harvest it, who weave the nets. There weren't others who could skin the hides. Why was he doing it himself? Says Rav Juk, what you see from this Gemara is that Rabbi Chia understood that every component and every contribution that goes in to something holy itself needs to be holy. And to ensure that it was done, L'Shem Shamayim, <coughs> to ensure that it was done with the right intent and the right mindfulness and that it was endowed <coughs> with the right thought. He took it upon himself. He didn't rely or delegate to others, but he did it himself. Based on this, says Rav Druk, we can apply this. When it came to the building of the Mishkan and to creating a home for Ashras Hashchina, a place to divinely feel the intense connection with Hashem. It couldn't just be that the building itself, it couldn't just be the Gedol Yador, the Rosh Yeshiva would show up at the end. It couldn't even just be that the human beings would have the right mindset. Anything connected in any which way, 
Gam Trichel Lios Lashem Shemaim. Hashem himself taught us this when he endowed even the animals with the right spirit. Every ingredient, every material, every act had to be endowed with the right attitude and with the right spirit. Kadesha Mishkan Yakodesh Kadoshim, Mukrach, Shakomi Shakoshalam Lachas Hamishkan, Yinagan Hagos Tovos. So the Mishkan would in fact meet that need that it would be a holy place, everyone involved, animal and human alike, had to be holy. Intent matters. Intent matters. We believe mystically, I believe. It's brought down in so many of the holy svarim, that you know when you cook Shabbos food, the attitude, what you're listening to, what you're talking about, what you're thinking about, it goes into the ingredients. It matters. Are you gossiping Lashanara? Are you speaking judgmentally of others? Are you in a bad mood and angry and frabisana? Or are you filled with amuna and faith and hope? Are you listening to a parshashir and a munashir? Are you singing songs? Are you saying the covet Shabbos? That goes into the soup and the gefilte fish and the kugel and the chala. It is one of the ingredients that goes in. So if it goes into the Shabbos food, certainly it went into the building of the Mishkan. It goes into all the holy activities and the work that we do, that it's absorbed. The energy that we create is absorbed so much so that not only Bahama that God endowed Chabad, Chachma, Bina, and Das in B'Tzalat and Aliyah and those who are working, but Bahama is Bahama. Even in the animals that would make up the ingredients of the Mishkan, there too Hashem endowed. Continuing right along. Perak Lamed Ches, Pasuk Ches. Perak Lamed Ches, Pasuk Ches. Turn the page. 520, moving right along. 526 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Moving right along. We made the, again, we're repeating all of the utensils, the kalim of the Mishkan, and all of the, in Parshas uh, Pakude, all of the Big Day Kahuna, and so on. So we're up to the laver. We're up to the kior. Perak lam and ches, pasach ches, vayas, secure nechoshes, vayas kanu nechoshes, bimaros hatzovos hashitzavu pesach o moed. He made the laver of copper and its base of copper from the mirrors at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. We've analyzed the kior many times in the past. Rashi quotes from the Medrash Chazal that Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, What? No way! I am not accepting the mirrors. Instruments of vanity? These women used to beautify themselves? You want that to put in the Mishkan? There's no place for it in the Mishkan. Hashem said there is a place. These are the most holy contributions. These are the holiest donations. Yet, absolutely there's a place. You must take it. The back and forth. What was the debate? What was the conversation? We've spoken about this so many times in the past. These were the mirrors the women beautified themselves with when the men gave up hope, when the men saw no future, when the men grew despondent and withdrew from their wives because they refused to bring children into such a harsh and heinous world. The women said, what are you talking about? We live in a world of faith in Hashem. It's going to get better. It's going to be better. We just learned today's Dafyomi. Women are chayiv and arbakosos. Women drink of the four cups. It's rabbinic, it's time-bound, but which Tosos understands to me, Rashi understands to mean, they were the catalyst of the miracle. Not just that they benefited from the miracle, they were the catalyst and the cause of the miracle. They maintained their faith that was captured symbolically in these mirrors that they had used to beautify themselves. They were not just instruments of vanity, they were instruments of continuity, instruments of faith, instruments of holiness. We've shared all about that and elaborated on it in the past. But a new insight from Rav Druk this year. There's something unusual about this. Rashi quotes, who are the ones who gave it? We don't know when it comes to any of the other kalim materials, ingredients of the Mishkan or of the wardrobe. We don't know who are the ones who gave it. Why do we specify? Why do we call out specifically when it comes here? 
because these mirrors, they meant a lot to the women. They loved them. They had nostalgia. They had meaning. And they used them to beautify themselves. And now they took something they cared a lot about, something they felt very connected to, and they were willing even to part with it. They deserve the credit of our mentioning their name. Because they cared so much about it. And because we would have understood if they didn't want to part with it, all the more impressive it is, and therefore they deserve our mentioning their name. But listen to the Targum Unklus. Unklus translates and therefore interprets differently. Unklus writes, this gift was given by the women when they came to pray at the entrance of the Olmoid. The Nira Birad Varav says Rav Druk something very significant here. The merit they had in donating such a critical utensil and instrument in the Mishkan was in the merit of their davening. Through their davening, they found the strength. Sometimes we think that when we daven, we wait for Hashem to provide the answer. But sometimes the very exercise of davening gives us the strength, gives us the faith, gives us the hope. So before you daven, you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to be able to give that away or donate or make men's meat. I don't know how I'll be able to sacrifice or be selfless. But then the exercise and the experience of davening itself transform us and leave us different. So that the davening is answered just through the davening. I'm not waiting for Hashem to provide the answer externally, but Hashem has provided the answer that the act of davening itself has had such an impact. They merited to find the courage and the strength and the generosity to give the mirrors they loved so much because through the davening, they recalibrated their priorities through the davening, they remembered their values and what mattered. The experience of davening itself gave them the strength. So don't only daven because you're waiting for Hashem to answer. Daven because davening is in itself one of the ways that we become strengthened. Daven is one of the things that gives us the courage and the hope. Another insight on the same Pasuk are also connected to the Kior, to the Laver. Vayasasa Kior says the Magad of Dov Ber of Mezritz. Why was this mirror? When the Kohen came in, they would wash their hands and feet in a basin who was made out of the mirrors of the women. And it was next to the altar. So says the Heligamagir of Dober of Mezritz that what? A person has to look in the mirror and evaluate themselves. It is so easy to see and identify what is lacking in the other, to be judgmental and to be critical, and to see what's missing in the other, that's easy. That comes naturally to us all. But to know about ourselves, to have the self-awareness of what we need to work on and what we need to fix, that's much harder. Therefore, says the Magad of Mezrich, Yasos chavero kemara la'atzmo. One should use their friend as the mirror for themselves. When we look in our friend, we hold our friend up to the mirror. So in other words, kolaposel b'muaposel. What you don't like in your friend is really something you don't like in yourself. What you're hypercritical of in others is really what you're being critical of yourself. That's the idea of looking in the mirror, is to be able to use other people around us as a mirror for ourselves. You see something and it's bothering you in someone else, stop and say, am I really guiltless? Am I really innocent? Do I not also act that way sometimes? 
So you take that first reaction and feeling of being frustrated, bothered, or judgmental of what someone else is doing, and you transform that to say, what can I learn from that which I see in someone else about myself? Why is that bothering me in the other? Because what I'm seeing in them is really a reflection of myself. Rabbi Salavechik and the Rav Chumash expands this, and he says that's why the Kior was before the Mizbeach. The Kohen at the first look in the mirror before they can go to the altar and achieve atonement. You can't achieve atonement if you don't look in the mirror, if you don't take personal responsibility, if you don't take extreme ownership, if we don't own up to where we went wrong, if you don't look in the mirror, then you cannot improve, you won't get better. That is Vayakya, Parshas Pekude, page 530. We've left ourselves eight minutes for Parshas Pekude. It's a good thing you already saw it in Tetzava. Eila Pekude Mishkan. we spoke about Eila, that the Eila Pekude Mishkan makes up for the Eila Elohecha Yisrael. Eila Pekude HaMishkan. Revolba has a great insight. First Rashi and Pekude explains why there's yet another Pasha dealing with the Mishkan and the Kalim. We already spoke about all of this in Tetzava. Why are we doing this all over again? So we know that there was suspicion raised about Moshe. Moshe takes this Pekude, he takes this accounting, and he's missing. It's an inexact number. And Moshe panics. He knows he didn't take. He knows he didn't cut corners. He knows he didn't take for himself. But how is he going to account for what's missing? The people are going to falsely accuse him. And then he remembers the vavim, the hooks. We've spoken about that at length before. Why did he forget the hooks? The thing we take for granted, that which holds us together. He neglect. He took for granted. And when he remembered to take an accounting, he was vindicated. And in fact, all was accounted for. But the Medjish Masrab explains the Pasuk in Mishlei, Perachav Ches. The Pasuk there says, an honest man will increase blessings. And says the Medjish, that's a reference to Moshe. Moshe was able to take an accounting for every last penny of the Mishkan. Due to his unwavering integrity, the money he was entrusted with was sufficient funds from the Mishkan. Everything was accounted for. It was the perfect amount. Everything was good. Points out Revolba. Sefer Shmos began and ends the exact same way with the notion of integrity with money. So I understand that in Pekude, Ela Pekude Mishkan, Moshe has great integrity when it comes to money here at the end. Where is the integrity with money at the beginning? So maybe this has been lost on many, including me. But the Torah tells us that the bassinet that Yocheved, Moshe's mother, made for Moshe to survive, to float in the Nile, was made of gome, of cane. And Yocheved was trying to protect her son. She could have used cedar wood. She could have used something stronger, something more expensive, something that might have lasted longer. But she used something more inexpensive. She used something softer. She used cane. The Gemara Sota Daf Yud Beis tells us from this incident that you see that Sadikim and Sidkanios are chasa al-mamonam. They care about money. They don't waste, they don't squander, they don't throw it away. She could have used something more, but the situation didn't demand it. Yocheved knew that the lesser expense material would suffice. It was good enough. So she could have had the fancier, she could have had the Rolls Royce of bassinets, but she instead went for the Honda Accord. I drive a Honda Accord. She went for the Honda Accord because she knew the righteous are chasa amamonim. They care about their money. Why? Are they cheap? The righteous are focused on money? Why do they care about money? How is that so, it seems so incongruous. I would think the more righteous you are, the less money focused, the less you care, the less you're trying to save. Says Revolba the following, they're careful with money 
because they earn every penny honestly. They didn't cut corners, they didn't steal, they didn't cheat, they didn't misreport on their taxes. Every dollar they have is a gift from Hashem, earned honestly, earned with sweat and tears, and given by God, entrusted to them to use correctly. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes you the steward and entrusts you on that money, it was given for a purpose. And if you waste or you squander it elsewhere, then you have violated the trust of Hashem. So says Ravolba, that Sefer Shmos begins and ends with the same theme. It begins with Yocheved being careful not to squander money because it's a gift from Hashem. We have to be responsible stewards of the money that we have and to use it the right way. And it ends with Moshe taking an accounting that all that he had done was with honesty and integrity, that he never cut a corner. And we, our generation, has to return to a sense of integrity and honesty with money, not chalila to cut corners or to not report honestly on our taxes or to be ruthless in business and earn it in an immoral way, but to recognize that Akrish Baruch is the one who gives us the money. What we have is what we need and what we deserve and what we have is a gift from above and we are entrusted with it to do the right things, not to squander and waste it and not to uh, achieve it or earn it in the wrong way and to recognize the great responsibility that we have in that he gave it to us, the great responsibility we have with it. Okay, lastly, we'll end off. Vayasa b'nei Yisrael k'chol ha-shertziva Hashem. Perak Lametes, Pasuk Lamed Beis. Lametes, Lamed Beis. Vatecha kol avodas ha-meshkan o-amoyed, Vayasa b'nei Yisrael k'chol ha-shertziva Hashem, as Moshe Kain Asu. So wonders Rav Druk. The Pasuk says, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed. The Jewish people had done everything Hashem commanded, so they did. And Rav Druk wonders, isn't that the wrong order? Isn't that the wrong order? The Pasuk should have been given to us exactly the opposite. It's not his question. He quotes Rav Shlomo Kluger. Hagon Rav Shlomo Kluger omed al-Haseder shel ha-Pasuk v'sho al-She'il ha-Atsuma ki hinei l'chora yatzarach l'chtob behepech. Pasuk should have said the opposite. Vayasu b'nei Yisrael k'chol asher tziva Hashem as Moshe. The people had done all that God commanded. Vatechal kol avodas mishkan al-Moed and now it was complete. First say, they did everything they were asked, and it was complete. What do you mean? It was complete. They did everything that was asked. And he answers so brilliantly, or Rav Druk is answering Rav Shlomo Kluger's question so brilliantly, and he says this order is actually more correct. Why? Because we shouldn't think that our effort is what yields the result. We have to recognize that the result comes from the Ribbon Olam. Yes, we take our initiative, and yes, we make our effort, and yes, we can be proud of the contribution that we made. Be proud. We worked hard, and we used our ingenuity, and we gave up, and we toiled, and be proud of our contribution, but never, ever take all the credit. Never think you or you alone are responsible. So it makes more sense, Rav Druk, to say the Mishkan was complete, because Hashem wanted it complete. Hashem enabled it to be complete. It was complete. Oh, and everyone did all that they were asked. Meaning, it was complete because Hashem wanted it to be complete. But also, they did what they were responsible for. They took their initiative, they did their part, they made their effort. It seems out of order, but in fact, it's correctly, it's exactly in the correct order, because ultimately, while we take our initiative, its success is up to Hashem. Thank you for joining and listening. A reminder watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. When you do, you'll be notified in real time every time we go live and we can learn together. Join us tomorrow morning right back here on YouTube. 10 minutes of meeting with Sharam at 8.15, living with Amuna at 8.45. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m., we go behind the Bima with Jeff Swartz, the former CEO of Timberland, the major clothing company Timberland, CEO, 
Torah observant, amazing inspiration, how he observed Torah while he led an uh, enormous multi-billion dollar company tomorrow evening at 9 p.m. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.